change is inevitable and can often be chaotic. However, when it's fully organized, change can be dynamic, powerful, and progressive. The Organizing for Change podcast will help you move from a spectator to a difference maker and will assist you in bringing positive change to your community, your city, and perhaps of most importance, you. Hosted by Amanda Decker, drug-free community substance use prevention coordinator, mom to many, entrepreneur, and fan of great conversation, Organizing for Change is heard in over 40 countries and every state in the USA. We are delighted that you've joined us today, because after all, we do this for you, and that will never change. Here's Amanda. Welcome to episode 36 of the Organizing for Change podcast, where our goal is to equip coalitions, organizations, and individuals to bring change to their community. I want to thank you again for all of your support in 2019. We look forward to connecting with all of you in 2020. And if you would like to be an insider to the Organizing for Change podcast, join our email list. You will be the first to know about upcoming episodes and you'll get a summary after each episode with links to anything we've talked about emailed right to your inbox. Just click on the link in the notes to join our community today. And by the way, some folks were asking, it's completely free. On today's episode, we feature a question so many of you ask. I hope you will find it helpful. And if you have any suggestions or things that you would like to add to answer this question, please email us and let us know or comment on the Coalition Coordinator's Facebook page. And now for today's Testing episode. one, two. Check, check. I can't believe 2019 has already come to a close. I am super excited for all the growth that the Organizing for Change podcast has experienced this year. Thank you, thank you. We are so looking forward to 2020. In this episode, we want to answer a question that continues to come up being asked by all of you. And that question is, how do coalitions engage parents and guardians? We've all had those experiences in the coalition world where we work so hard to put trainings together and information together, and we just don't get the engagement from parents and guardians that we were hoping. Well, here are seven tips that we have found helpful based off of our connection with many of you and over 15 years of trial and error working in the Prevention Coalition world. So here we go. Seven tips for engaging parents and guardians. Tip number one, go for the parents of younger youth. Look for the parents of the fourth graders, the fifth graders, the sixth graders. Oftentimes we are trying to pull parents of high school youth and they might not have as much engagement as some of our middle school and elementary kids. We tell people that the best time to talk to their child about drugs and alcohol is before anyone else, before their peers, before anyone. So making sure that parents and guardians are the first, that means that we would have to go younger and younger. And we've found here in our coalition that engaging parents of fourth and fifth graders is a little bit easier 
than high school youth. Tip number two, go to where they already are. Go to where the parents already are. Maybe there's a dance class in your community or a karate group, a little league, or a youth group that parents are just hanging around and just kind of waiting until their child is out of that class. I know one coalition that partnered with a local church. While the kids were in the youth group program, the parents were just hanging out. And the coalition leader decided to bring coffee, bring the cookies, and have a meeting with those parents on a regular basis while the kids were in the youth programming. Work with whoever is in your community and ask, is there a space that parents could meet while the kids are engaged in whatever that after-school activity is. The second way to go where they already are is to look on social media. And now I know that might not be as good as connecting with the parents face-to-face, -face, but you still don't want to miss this opportunity. A lot of parents of these 5th and 6th graders are on Facebook, and they're scrolling around 10 p.m. at night. After the kids are all in bed, they're kind of looking through their feed. So post something and schedule it for a time that you know that they'll watch. You can actually use metrics on places like Facebook to find out when people are watching your messages. Tip number three, remove the barriers. Take a good look at your coalition meeting or event. Are you really making sure that there are as little to few barriers as possible for parents and guardians to attend. For instance, do you have childcare? In our coalition, whenever we have events, we partner with our local YMCA who provides great childcare for any parents and guardians that just won't be able to attend because they can't find a babysitter during our meeting. We also analyze our meeting times. So are you hosting meetings at a time where everybody else around your table is paid to be there? So think of the people that are sitting around your coalition table now. Is the coalition work part of their job requirement or strongly suggested by their job? If so, maybe you want to consider a night meeting that could get people from your community to attend who are volunteers and not paid to be there, often parents and guardians. Maybe you want to consider stipend for the parents. I recently spoke to a coalition and they stipend every parent because their parents take time off during their busy day to be part of the coalition. So they stipend everyone at the table so everyone who's sitting at the table is paid to be there. Maybe consider feeding the families. So if you're hosting an evening meeting and it's a barrier for people to go home, make dinner, get their kids ready and bring them out, maybe you want to consider as a coalition feeding the people that are coming to your table. I like to try to think like a parent of a fifth grader. I go and I meet fifth grade parents, sixth grade parents, seventh grade parents, and I ask them, tell me what would make it easier for you to attend the event or the meeting that we want you to be at. Some other ways to remove barriers are to offer meetings online or to use an online meeting form in addition to your meetings. I recently attended a meeting where they had a call-in number 
And they do this at every single meeting that people who can't be at the table can dial in and still be part of the conversation. There's a lot of great resources out there to be able to take your meeting and put it online and make it accessible to other members of your community. Tip number four, give the people that come to your table something that they value. Never have a meeting just to have a meeting. One of the things that I found helpful in the coalition world is using feedback forms at every single meeting to find out what was helpful during the meeting and what would be helpful, what is working, what needs to change. Getting that feedback has drastically changed the things that we bring to the table at our meetings. Um, sometimes parents will have something that's completely off of your radar as a suggestion, but it's something that you could do as a coalition that would have a chance for more buy-in from other parents as well. Number five, facilitate, don't lecture. So your meetings really should have dialogue. I have been to many coalition meetings where the typical scenario is the coalition leader or director will rattle through everything that they've done over the last month, and it will be a very one-sided kind of meeting. I've found that if you as a coalition coordinator have a whole bunch of things you need to communicate, think about doing that in a different way. Is there a written document that you could email out or maybe some set of a coalition leader's report or something that could be handed to people? When you bring people to the table, you really want to engage them and have some of that feedback going back and forth and some discussion and dialogue. Now, I'm not saying there's never a time for the lecture type. Maybe you're bringing in somebody or you're educating the group on you know, something like vaping and what's going on with that. That's a little different than rattling off, we did this, we did this, we did that, we did the other thing. When you actually engage the people around the table, they will walk away saying that they feel more valued and they feel that it was important for them specifically to come to your table. When it comes to parents, really honor the fact that they're sitting around your table and use the opportunity to engage people in discussion. Sometimes people have told me a reason they don't do this is because they never want parents or the people around the table to feel like they're being put on the spot and having to speak in front of a whole bunch of people. But there are many ways that you can engage people in discussion without having to have them stand up in front of 10 to 15 people. You can do some small group work. You can do some um, questions in, in little areas where people aren't reporting out to a whole group, but maybe that you're helping to create some conversation um, in the group itself and not necessarily in front of all of the people. Tip number six, don't make it awkward. I have been to countless coalition meetings where everyone around the table will rattle off their titles after their names. And this can feel super awkward as a parent or guardian. I actually had a parent introduce herself and she said, wow, I'm just a parent. And I thought, just a parent, you are so important. There's, you know, we're just so delighted that you are sitting around this table. 
but she felt awkward. She felt like everybody else has this important role and here I am just a parent. So I learned to do the introduction part a little bit different. We never point out the new person. We go around the table and we do introductions every single time. Now, there are folks that have sat around the table that look at me like, why are we doing this again? We all kind of know each other except for the new person. Why don't we just have them introduce? But for that new person, they don't know who's new and who's not. And for that new person, they would like to know who else is sitting around the table as well. So by having everyone do introductions around the entire table, or I've seen in some coalitions, everyone does a name tag or a name card that they either place on the table or on themselves. It just makes people feel more comfortable. Someone's first meeting can literally be the determining factor whether they come back or not. Oftentimes, people actually decide whether they want to be a part of the group or not within the first 10 minutes. So don't make it awkward. Think of how it feels to be that person who's new at the table and whatever you can do to make them feel comfortable. I've also seen some coalitions do some great things like after the coalition meeting is done, they take a couple extra minutes and stay with any of the members who might be new and offer to kind of go over what the coalition has done in the past, answer any questions, kind of like a mini orientation for new members so that they can make sure that that new person completely feels accepted and like they belong and that they don't have any unanswered questions that they felt nervous maybe to ask in front of the whole group, that they don't have any of those questions left unanswered. Tip number seven, follow up well. Call the parent, email the parent, text the parent, whatever you can do to make sure that they know that their input was of value and how much it means to you that they're participating. This also goes for reaching out in the first place. I can't stand the blanket email like, oh, everybody, here's a mass email. Hope you can come to our meeting. I have actually done tests to see uh, whether our attendance is affected by whether we call people and invite them or text them and invite them versus send out the generic email. We always have double the number of people at a meeting that we have done a little extra work to get them there. Don't do the blanket email. Go to where these people are, make the connection, call them, email them personally. And as far as emailing them personally, that person doesn't necessarily need to know that you did not hand create um, a, a note for every single person. You could have a standard kind of invite, but you make sure that you're including their name and that you're putting in maybe a line or two that's a personal note them. You know, I'm so glad you came to last meeting. The input that you had about XYZ was great. I hope you can update us on whatever. That goes a long way in getting people to come to your table and stay at your table. Well, we hope these seven tips have been somewhat helpful to you and have got you thinking about maybe some ways that you could engage in reaching parents and guardians in your community. And we would love to have other tips out there for you in the future. So if you think of a question that's really been on your mind, feel free to email us at organizingforchangepodcast 
and we will try as hard as we can to research your question and get some information out to answer that for you. Thank you all for what you're doing in your communities. You are making a difference. We look forward to hearing from you all and working with you in 2020. Thank you for listening to the Organizing for Change podcast, where our goal is to empower coalitions, organizations, and individuals to bring positive change to their communities. To learn more about us or to get the show notes from today's episode emailed to your inbox, log on to our website. We hope you are inspired by today's show and keep up the great work. See you next time.